Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We are broadcasting across the world from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. A little bit of news that I mentioned last week that I'd like to just mention again because I'm really proud of it. I've just signed with Voice America Network to be on air for another 12 months, our sixth year, which is pretty good since I was only given 13 weeks trial initially. And secondly, I've just uh, contracted for my daily 30-second read newsletter, which I know a hell of a lot of you get, to go out daily to an additional 1,360,000 people, meaning that well over 1.5 million people receive my 30-second read newsletter every single day, which is pretty good. Now, you've heard the expression, everything old is new again. Remember that? Well, Amazon began by selling books online and sending almost every other bookseller to the wall. Well, in a sort of twist of fate, Amazon's now opening its ninth physical bookstore in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amazon's bookstore will be located in Broadway Plaza in Walnut Creek. And if you know San Francisco, Walnut Creek is one of the high-end shopping centres. Now, this is their ninth brick-and-mortar store. They've got three in Seattle, San Diego, and Portland. They've got five on the way in New York, Chicago, and New Jersey. New Jersey, and uh, they've put every major bookstore in Walnut Creek out of business. So they're all gone, so now they come and step in. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Amazon bookstores are launching in community neighbourhoods instead of commercial shopping districts. They're going after the markets typically owned by the independent bookstores. So as a physical extension of Amazon.com, Amazon Books integrates the benefit of offline and online shopping to help you find books and devices. They select books based on Amazon.com customer ratings, pre-orders, sales, popularity on Goodreads, and their curator's assessments. They place books face out on the shelves so each can communicate its own essence, their word not mine. I'm not sure what its own essence means, but it sounds good. Under each book is a review card with the Amazon.com customer rating and a review. Most have been rated four stars or above, and many are award winners. Amazon Books is a store without, well, you know, there's thousands of books available in the store and millions more online. So you can walk out of the store with a book or, this is a big hook, you can walk out with a device. You know, and you can forget about carrying stuff, just buy it and join Prime and have it sent to you for zip. So you can download a book on your Kindle or you can add a product to your Amazon wish list or, and and if you add it to your wish list, that means somebody else will buy it for you. Amazon Echo, Kindle, Fire, um, Fire TV, they're all available to test, drive and buy in the Amazon store. And associates are on hand to answer questions and show each device in action. So there's still the question of why the hell is Amazon doing this? 
because Amazon believes that bookstores are a great way for their customers to engage with all their other stuff. You know, books are simply there as a prop to get you to see, touch and play with the Kindles and the Echoes and the Fire and all that stuff. So, um, as I said, everything old is new again. Now, it's Valentine's Day, so I hope you've all gone out and bought your better half flowers and candies and all that stuff. And I was just talking to my panel operator a little while ago and I just said to him, you know, you've got to buy all this stuff or your promise has gone out the window. So if you haven't done it yet, race out, go to your nearest store and buy some candy and buy some roses and you will be sweet. <laughs> now, nearly 60% of the US population single or separated and they're all out there looking for love. But there's a new dating app that connects you with people who hate the same things you do. Uh, maybe that's a new way to find lasting love. Most of the people that I know that um, have met through the regular dating apps, they're all back on the market again. So Hater, H-A-T-E-R, it's a dating app that matches you with other users based on all the stuff that you both mutually hate. Now, the app's only about a month old, but it's amassed about 200,000 users in the US and abroad. It's the number one lifestyle app in Germany right now, and the company is going to take on Tinder. Now, the idea resulted from a study that showed that people who dislike the same things form closer bonds with each other and stay together longer. Now, the app isn't all that different from other popular dating apps you swipe left and right on potential suitors and there's an option to chat with them in the app and once you log in hater sets up the basic profile for you which you can then customize nothing new so far you're then presented with a variety of topics to choose between not much is off limits nothing's off limits in fact including food politics sports and everything you know you can talk about thongs and strippers if you want to. A few t topics are off limits. They won't allow hate speech of any kind on the platform. And topics do not include, topics not, you can't talk about include racial, ethnic and socioeconomic groups. But Hater asks you questions about abortion, about Barack Obama, about Donald Trump and about offensive jokes. So while initially a bit off-putting, Haters got the right idea. D disagreeing on some core issues may affect a couple's ultimate compatibility, might not. I mean, if you are if you get along well on a whole bunch of things, everything's going along swimmingly. And as soon as one person says, oh, I like Donald Trump, fuck, all hell breaks loose. So that's what's going to break you up rather than stuff that you might like together. And incidentally, Donald Trump is not popular with haters' users. And once you've listed your likes and your dislikes and your loves and your hates, hater starts finding matches for you. So, you know, I think it's a pretty good idea. Hater's only available on iOS for now, and it's only available in English, but they are working to translate hater into other languages and launch an Android version of the service shortly. Now, you've all heard that when you meet somebody – they size you up in about three seconds. Do I like this person? Don't I like this person? Or am I going to keep walking and meet somebody else, right? But 
have you ever thought if somebody's talking to me for three seconds and they mightn't even talk to you, what the hell are they evaluating? What are they trying to work out that I'm about? Well, Harvard Business School professor, Professor Amy Cuddy says people judge you based on two criteria when they first meet you. In a new book, which is called Presence, she says people quickly evaluate two questions. Can I trust this person? Can I respect this person? And a lot of that's your body language and, and you know, all of that sort of stuff. So psychologists refer to these dimensions as warmth and competence, respectively. And ideally, you want to be perceived as having both. Interestingly, most people, particularly in a professional context, believe that competence is the more important factor. After, after all, you know, they want to prove that they're smart and talented enough to handle your business if that's what you're talking to them about. But in fact, trustworthiness is the most important factor in how people evaluate you. So if you look like a sleazebag, no one is going to like you. So you've got to look open and warm and friendly and then people will like you. You know, it's more crucial to our survival to know whether a person deserves our trust or not. Now, while competence is highly valued, it's evaluated only after trust is established. So you've got to get them to trust you. Once they trust you, you can pull anything on them. <laughs> and here's another tip, because, you know, when you're, when you're networking or whatever, focusing too much on displaying your strength, you know, trying to be strong will backfire. Cuddy says that MBA interns are often so concerned about coming across as smart and competent that it can lead them to skip social events, not ask for help, and generally come off as unapproachable. These overachievers are in for a rude awakening when they don't get the job offer because nobody got to know them and nobody got to like them or trust them. If somebody you're trying to influence doesn't trust you, you're not going to get very far. In fact, you might even elicit suspicion because you come across as manipulative. A warm, trustworthy person is also strong, elicits admiration, but only after you've established trust does your strength become a gift rather than a threat. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of a software coder, I think of a highly intelligent, short, nerdy-looking person that wears glasses, they're somewhere up in Silicon Valley, they live on Coca-Cola and potato crisps, they're dressed in a hoodie, they work 16 hours a day with the goal of getting insanely rich and changing the world. Well, I was staggered to learn that only about one in 13 coders are actually in Silicon Valley. So that ain't the place you go to look for coders and that most coders are not nerds at all. You can learn how to code at a community college. These days, good blue-collar jobs are seen as a pillar of middle-class society. The next big blue-collar job category is already here. It's called coding, and it's really the equivalent of working in a Chrysler plant. Any blue-collar coder will be plenty qualified to sling JavaScript for their local bank and have a middle-class job. Now, just to be fair, society does need 
some superstars, serious innovators. And they're the ones that create things like machine learning. But that's not your average coder. So when somebody says they're a coder, they may not be creating new stuff at all. They might just be keeping people at the local bank in their job. So I've never thought of coding as a blue-collar job, but apparently it is. Do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? If you don't, you're missing out. We now have about 81,000 daily subscribers, as I mentioned earlier. We're about to add another 1.5 million subscribers. So I invite you to go to my website, which is bobpritchard.com, and that's Pritchard, P-R-I-T-C-H-A-R-D, and enroll for my daily newsletter. It takes just 30 seconds to read most days, and it's going to keep you up to date with all the business news. It's important. You know when you go out to dinner with a table full of people and you want to impress people that you're really smart? Well, if you read my daily 30-second read newsletter, you will be able to astound them with all the stuff you know. And around the water cooler, your boss will think that you are the smartest little duck on the block. So make sure you subscribe. Now, my guest today is amazing. We're always looking, just if you're listening, we're always looking for successful women to interview. It's, it's so much easier to find successful guys, but my, um, my guest today is fantastic. Um, her name is Kirsten Plerva. Kirsten Plerva, she's fantastic. You'll really enjoy this interview. I really enjoyed doing it. She's got a real trailblazing background. She's an entrepreneur. She's a speaker. She's a best-selling author. She's German, and uh, she's an international business expert and visionary, uh, and she's driven by a passion for excellence and innovation, and she's got a f- focus on women's causes. She is a gem. She's really terrific. I hope you enjoyed this interview. I really enjoyed doing it. And I'll be back with Kirsten immediately after this short break on the Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the last five and a half years or so, 
actually, it must be more than that because I've just signed the contract for another year, giving us six years. Uh, we've given you the insights into the lives of about 350 of the world's most interesting people, what they do, the challenges that they've overcome. And what we try to do on this show is to find out what it is that makes them tick. What, what is it that makes them just that little bit different than everybody else out there? And, uh, you know, it's extremely difficult to really make your mark in the world and achieve success. I, I used to say, you know, we get so blasé about people who achieve success, but it's, it's really hard to be the best at something on your block, far less be the best at something in your state or in your country. And then to be the best at something in the world is an unbelievable achievement. And I don't care what the achievement is. If you're the best, that is really something. So the aim of this segment is to assist you to be more confident about taking on big challenges, to seize initiatives and and become successful, become that unique person. And my guest today has done just that. She is, um, she's got a real trailblazing background. And um, now here we go. I'm going to screw this up for sure. But um, Kirsten Plaver, she's an entrepreneur, a speaker, a best-selling author, born in Munich in Germany. She's got international business expert and a visionary, a thought leader who's, you know, driven by her passion for excellence and innovation. And I, I got introduced to her through um, Kathy O'Dowd, who, if you've been watching this program for five years probably, um, I interviewed Kathy. Kathy was the first person, to first woman to climb Everest from both sides. Now, that's that is, everybody goes up one side. The uh, It's the other side that's the difficult side. And um, she introduced me to Kirsten, um, and we, we'll call her KP from here on because it's a lot easier. <laughs> um, but she's the first female president of the – I've tried to find out what the actual uh, description of this is, but the first female president was equivalent to a German academic organisation for graduates and the first German to win the prestigious US Poly Award, recognising the best and brightest young political professionals in the US. She's worked with top politicians, Olympic athletes, corporate executives. Um, so she's got a really busy life as a keynote speaker, a company owner and a philanthropist. She's taken it to more than 25 countries, including South Africa, Japan and the USA. She lives between Florida I love Florida. I think Florida is such a cool place. Uh, but she lives between Florida and Germany. But, you know, she's a real sort of daredevil. In her early 40s, Kirsten became a ranger in the South African wilderness. And this, is a, this has got to be a real learning experience and it changed her views on life and leadership. Um, she wrote a book on this based on this experience and that became a bestseller, which led her to become a sought-after motivational speaker, an author, an activist, and uh, what she learnt are the insights that are needed, whether you're a corporate or political or in the um, wilderness world, you've got to inspire people to embrace change and use it as a competitive advantage. She's a passionate adv- advocate for and philanthropist for women's causes, and uh, she founded 
in 2008, together with another name I can't pronounce, but the first female winner of the Dakar race, and Cathy O'Dowd, who I mentioned earlier, to um, form the ASTRAIA Female Leadership Foundation in Germany. And the foundation supports gender equality and equal access to education. KP. That's hey, not Bob. Very, that's not very friendly, is it? Kirsten's so much nicer and softer than KP sounds. <laughs> okay. KP, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, and you're being heard right around the world. Now, you've had you've had this extraordinary life. What would make you sort of go from being successful and whatever to saying, hey, damn Germany, I'm going to become a ranger in, in Africa. What on earth made you do some broken romance or something? What the hell made you say, I'm going to escape and do this? Well... First of all, it's a, it's a pleasure to be with you on the show. Thank you, Bob. Um, what made me do this? I think, you know, it, everybody has this um, sort Mid-age of broken crisis. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all have broken romances in our heart as we grow older and as we go on, on with our life and career. And, and that is, the, and those are the dreams of our childhood. You know, things we wanted to do when we were young and where we didn't think about all the problems that would come if we do it. And my first wish as a child, and I lived in South Africa, then was to become a ranger. Oh, okay. So, you know, 40 years later, b- being an executive and a consultant for a long, long time, I had completely forgotten about that wish. But as soon as I remembered it, and I can tell you a story how that happened, because it was another great lady from Ireland, actually, who made me remember that. I thought, you know, life is so... Um, how do you say in English? We have so many frontiers and so many rituals of day-to-day routines. Why not the heck do something crazy and live that dream? And that's exactly what I did. And I loved it. It was the best time of my adult life, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 is, what are the um, um, responsibility of a ranger? But when I think of a ranger, and this is probably totally wrong, I think of people who go out there and stop poachers and really evil people from doing nasty things to animals is that yeah that is one part of the responsibility um and when i was a kid i sort of envisioned the ranger being even more romantic you know i saw them driving around in their jeeps all day long and wearing those beautiful uniforms and um helping animals and of course it's less romantic the job but protection of the wild is one major major task but the other one is really to guide tourists through the wilderness uh, to track animals uh, to be with your guests and uh, give them a safe but also a very emotional and intense experience of that gorgeous gorgeous wilderness from as an executive you 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 know you get used to um um blazing frontiers and leading people and motivating people and inspiring people what part of that did you get out of being a ranger aren't you just sort of following somebody's rule book and going out and where's your independence in that or were you happy to surrender your independence at that point I wouldn't call it being happy to surrender. You know, anybody who is a, a leader in their own, own business um, has a problem with surrendering. Uh, but it's good sure. to learn it every now and then to understand that you are not always the alpha. 
you're not always on top of the chain. And actually, in the African bush, as a human being, uh, you are actually not the strongest, not the fastest uh, one. And it is very good to realize that and to understand that and to adapt your actions towards that. And, you know, what you learn from that, the easiest thing is uh, respect again. You know, if you're in front of an elephant that's 10 times bigger than you and 100 times um, heavier, you nobody has to explain to you what respect is. You know <laughs> what to do and what not to do. And, of course, not to run off because then you're dead anyways. Yeah. Well, I, I have an experience with elephants. I was um, in Africa and I was in a, in a park and there was a bunch of elephants and we must have got too close to them in the jeep and uh, they charged us and it is terrifying because when they're going at you they are big motherfuckers and it scared the hell out of me i've got to tell you um it is it is pretty scary so you grew up thinking about being a ranger um that, that's interesting because i always think of rangers as being sort of a very um um, I don't know. It, 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 it's more of a police. It, it's that kind of a role, and and you don't strike me as that sort of a person. You, you strike me as sort of a um, a very strong business likey person. Rather, well, that came in later um, oh, when later. I was a king. You know, my wanting to become a ranger. I was, I think, ten years old in South Africa. Okay. And as soon as I was like 14, 15, back in Germany, fenced in, as I say, between school and, you know, parents and, and all the struggles you go through as a as a teenager, uh, I only wanted to become one thing, and that was free as an entrepreneur, traveling the world, making a hell of a lot of money, and uh, pursuing my own career. So the Ranger was already then far in the background, but uh, I'm very happy that I did remember that wish because, you know, when you're a kid, you have so much strength in your dreams and wishes. And as an adult, you lose some of that. You lose some of that behavior of just believing that anything is possible, believing in magic, if you want to call it that way. But I got that back and everybody can get it back. Now, when, when you became a ranger, um, you must have you, – you gained a lot of experience. What what changes did that make in your attitude and, and your um, ambitions in life to become a ranger? Well, first of all, um, I think the biggest thing I, I understood, but the, I just understood that when I came back to Europe after, uh, after that course, um, that was – how good it is for you as a leader to step way outside of your comfort zone, even as an adult with all your routines and all that, leave everything behind, including your damn cell phone, switching off, getting away from everything, from all the expectations of your employees and your clients and your own, okay, and just doing something that you've never done before because in that second, you um, use talents that that you usually don't use in your office. You know what I'm saying? Where yeah. you do oh, every day, you do the same stuff. You help clients. I mean, you have to be flexible and driven and all that. But Africa um, and becoming a ranger, of course, you know, I've never tr- tracked a lion or a 
leopard or and I've never been um, on on feet after elephant. So it put me in a complete new set of um, experiences and I had to um, use my talents and, and, and my strength and also face my fears. And that was good for me personally. I came back much stronger and much more aware of where my weaknesses are. And we have many as leaders that just basically sit in corporate offices. We forget a lot of things just by being so secure in our houses and airplanes and of that. In the wild, you learn a lot about yourself, but also about what you need to be aware of. Did you, most people today, most executives that I know today, um, not so much the guys that have really made it and, and at the top, but most corporate executives are afraid to take two weeks holiday a year because everything's changing so fast and they figure that if they t- take two weeks holiday, when they come back, you know, they may not, they may not have a job. Um, how did you get enough guts to say, okay, I'm going to have a total break from everything that's happening in a world that's traveling so quickly and changing so quickly and still have the confidence to think, well, I can march back into corporate, into the corporate world without losing anything really. Yeah. You know, companies and corporations have become um, smarter in the last couple of years and they do allow, a lot of the big ones do allow their employees to take time off and, and pursue uh, personal challenges that are way out, out of the normal time zone because they understand it makes their employees stronger and happier. But of course, there are still those old bones, as I call them, that don't understand and they you know, don't even give you two weeks off. For me, it was a bit easier because it was my own company. Sure. But still, it took guts and especially guts uh, to explain that to others. You know, I had never taken two weeks off in a row. I always combined my holidays with a speech somewhere or a yeah. conference or, you know, as a t- typical entrepreneur. But um, the biggest guts it took to explain to my clients and to my team and my employees what I would do. I thought my biggest fear was that they thought I turned crazy, you know, that I was in the middle of a midlife crisis and I would never come back from Africa. So my biggest fear is what do others think? And for a leader, I would say that uh, that's, of course, completely wrong, just as wrong as to think that you're indispensable, you know? Right. Yeah. So what was the most positive change in you during this time as a ranger? What was the most positive thing that happened to you? I think the most positive thing was to to realize from deep down from inside that the life, how I was leading it and how also I was leading my business is a very one-dimensional, has been a very one-dimensional life and that I didn't take the very, very important time to be aware completely aware of myself and the situation uh, of my clients because awareness needs some sort of enable to be aware and to be present. If you're not present as a ranger, you die out there because you're not aware that the wind has changed, that the leopard is, you know, approaching whatever, you're dead. But in business, <laughs> that's, that's pretty good motivation actually, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But in business, you know, we are so busy with our routines and processes and emails and so overloaded with stuff, most of it not even being important, 
that we lose the ability to just sort of re- push the reset button once a day for a couple seconds and be aware of what's going on of ourselves, of our people, and of course, what's going on in the market. And that I would call peace and awareness is critical for today's success. So I decided to change that as soon as I come back. That's interesting because I think um, so many companies are failing because someone else has come along and disrupted their industry and they weren't even aware of it until after it had happened. And that's because they get so caught up in their own little world that they don't look beyond the parameters and they get so comfortable. So that was the, that was the most positive thing that happened. What, what was the negative about doing this? Is there, Was there a negative effect on you about um, taking off and becoming a ranger? Well, you, if you go, if you leave your comfort zone, you, of course, put yourself self up for risks, okay? And, and the risks in the wild, you know, I was the only woman in, in the course. And so I had, you know, I was living by myself in this tent because the boys of the group were on the other side of, of our camp and because they, we were separated. So you have to face everything that's within you, including your fears, of course. And I'm telling you, Bob, if you are at night alone in your tent, um, and an elephant is next to your tent, so so close that you can hear him breathe and you yeah. can see his silhouette through your, and well, you have to deal with your fear somehow. And you learn so much about yourself, how you deal with those things. You know, if you make it bigger, if you just imagine things, because most of the stuff happens in our head anyways and not in reality. So um, I guess the negative thing in Africa was facing those fears but if you do you come out stronger than before so I wouldn't even say that was negative it was just uh, um, it was just tough yeah every now and then was there a real camaraderie between the males and and the one female or did the males um, do what most males do and sort of resent the fact that there's this woman intruding into their little bailiwick well um, <laughs> my guys were really sweet and uh, and but we had many um, in Germany we say draws where you put people in you know if there yeah. if a girl comes to a camp of course there are role models and stereotypes so of course they had that uh, and it, just as I had it with my all my male rangers but uh, we learned together uh, how to overcome that and to help one another without you know the sexual um, stereotypes and for me that was a great example of how as we want to call it diversity works you know we didn't need a diversity project I mean we were on the team together we had to tra- trace the lions and if we didn't you know if we didn't find them then we didn't get the points we needed for our exam so we had to perform and um, it wasn't about political correctness it was about the performance of a diverse team and we managed really well, uh, but again, you know, it's without the corporate <laughs> structure, you can do it if you just make it simple and look at what's needed. Did you did you learn anything about communicating with men? I mean, you know, men and women think differently. We communicate differently, and one of the things in this world that we are really, really, really bad at is communication. So, being a part of a all-male team as the only woman. Did that teach you anything about communicating with um, with 
the male species? Uh, to be honest, I if I hadn't learned that probably 20 years ago throughout my corporate career, I wouldn't have had the career, you know, right. communicating with males because most of my clients and, and, and my political leaders and athletes are men. So I learned that a long time ago. But you know what I learned in communication in the wilderness? I call that like the, the magic secret of communication in the wild is from animals. If you watch them intensely for example, how elephants communicate among their herd or lions, you can learn so much and you understand where our weaknesses are. Um, not talking about verbal weaknesses, we have those too, but weaknesses in strengthening the bonds within our team and our communication, for example, through rituals, through games, through all that sort of stuff. And I do teach that today. To back, I go back to companies and, and show them how they can strengthen their communication, not just by the words, which is just the auditive sense, sure. but by using their five senses. And that's much stronger, much more emotional and, and much more secure bondage between uh, a boss and, and, and the teammates, for example. You can learn a lot from the wilderness. Was there ever a point where you were sort of out there in the middle of the wilderness thinking, what the hell have I done? <laughs> yes, I did. But thank God I always had the answer in sort of in my hand and said, you wanted this, now deal with it. <laughs> there were several situations where I thought, why did you, you know, for, you know, for God's sake, pursue that stupid childhood dream? I mean, you know, you're grown up. Why did you do that? But the answer was because I wanted to, so now deal with it. And, and this is exactly what I did. And in the end, I was so happy because um, I had to face challenges where if I would have thought about them before I started the trip to South Africa, I would have never signed up. Right. So in the course of the trip, there were so many tough things. For example, I had to learn one part of the ranger. Of course, what you have to know is all the birds of South Africa. Right. Well, in South Africa, I don't know if you know that, are hundreds of hundreds of birds. Sure. And in order to become a ranger, you have to identify more than 100 birds um, per sight and more than 150 just by hearing them, by listening. Wow. So... I mean, me as a German and not a bird lover, I knew maybe two. So, and I never thought it would be possible to, to do that, to learn that within two months. But it is. If we put our mind to something and really focus and really have a good emotional reason to do that, we can manage basically everything. And I took that back from Africa. And by the way, if you want to identify 100 different birds, you learn how to listen Again And all of a sudden, I realized what a bad listener I was to what my clients or my teammates uh, told me because I was always, you know, sort of distracted in my mind. I didn't really, really listen with 100% of my attention. And I learned that in Africa. Yeah. Well, a lot of people, um, instead of listening, they're for already formulating what their response is going to be. So they miss part of what's being communicated to them. Okay. So now you're in an office. You get back to the US or back to Germany and you're sitting behind the desk as an executive in an office. Um, what are the two or three most important things that now apply there that applied in Africa? First of all, um, what I call the power of awareness. There is not one single day, unfortunately not every situation which I would like to, but there's at least not one single day 
where I don't use and apply the power of awareness at least once a day, where just like the elephant matriarch does with the, with the herd, where I stop what I'm doing in that second, if it's drinking or writing or talking to people or where I'm just aware of what's going on within myself, within the room I'm in, being aware of the energy and, um, and for example, the, the clients that sit across the table. So the power of awareness. Point one and point two um, is that I... Um, that I, I, I think and I hope I've become a better listener and a stronger communicator because I, I use my senses in a very different way. You know, usually when I wake up in the morning, all I smelled was after two minutes, the smell of my coffee, coffee machine. That was it. But, <laughs> but in the bush, you know, that's not enough. You have to smell everything. You even have to s- smell the dry urine of a lion that passed three hours ago. And you can, believe me, you can smell fear in a room. You can smell certain energies if you use your senses. So this is what I took back, using my senses, my five senses, not just one, and being aware right. of things. So. Now you go, you go out. Um, you're a great speaker, world recognised. So you, you're going out and you're speaking to a room full of um, um, business people, executives. Apart from the fact that you've now got great stories to talk about Africa and relate that back, when somebody leaves one of your presentations, what are the what's the major takeout for them? I think at least what I hear from uh, from listeners to my talks is that they say we lost the fear um, about adapting to the change that is happening because all the companies where I talk, they face tremendous changes in their marketplace or within the company. And as, as a leader, you don't really want, usually you don't really, um, work with the fears of the people. You just try to tell them, you know, this is what we have to do and this is our goal. And so you, you're sort of more on, on an analytical process, uh, but dealing with the fears and making people love the change, wanting the change, wanting to be um, flexible because they understand from deep down that this is not an option, this is a must. Yeah. Just like in, in the jungle. So, what people take back is they lose the fear of change and they see how they can be much more flexible and even have fun by just being more flexible because if you're more flexible, then you enjoy the ride. You know, that's what it's about. And if we enjoy, we can be more creative. Uh, we are more innovative. And at the end, we are much better in what we do. So connecting with your passion. So you're obviously a very passionate person. So Connecting with that passion is your recipe for success. Are there others? Is there other? I've always been, that's such a good question. I've always been very much driven wanting to create impact. Right. And not everybody has to create a foundation like I did that or I have to, you know, work with charities, how I love to do it since many, many years. But I think to ask yourself what kind of personal impact you you want to believe in this world is a very valuable question for everybody. And everybody defines the answer or has a very different answer to that. But I think today's world has become so crazy 
you know, if I look at the political world, for example, yeah. or or also at the corporate world, we are we have missed out on so many opportunities of creating impact for a, a, a really a better place. That I think this is a major major task. So I do ask my my top executives. And I try to inspire them to ask themselves the question how they they can increase their impact. And it's not by doing a better job. It's by sometimes saying no to, you know, corporate guidelines, by being more innovative, by sometimes leaving the job, by sometimes helping charities, by doing very different things. But the question is, how do you increase your impact? Do you find that today's, it, it seems to me, um, trotting around and speaking to people and doing business out there that the increase in awareness about the environment um, I was going to say politically but America's just shot that but um, the the awareness of doing good of giving back to society um, of being a good corporate citizen is actually increasing considerably certainly among the people that I deal with do you think that's generally so or do you think it's only a select group of um, highly successful um, entrepreneurs? No, I think this is a general trend because people are so lost in their trust to leaders, to it's, if it's corporate leaders or political leaders or uh, the media, um, the loss of trust um, is I think a major problem. So if you lose trust, what can you rely on? You yeah. rely on yourself and your sort of inner circles. And so if you go back to your own strength, then you automatically get to the point of asking yourself, well, how can I increase my impact? How can I play a more active role and 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 make sure that because even because just because I don't love what they do and I don't trust them. What can I do? And I think just because of the political sort of polarization of things and the black and white and, you know, it's just negative, positive, there's doesn't all the gray shades seem to have been lost, you know. And, and I come from a country you won't find one single person who says anything positive about what's going on in, in the U.S. political world right now. It's just black and white. And I think that's so wrong. So having the guts to... Stand, how do you say, stand up for your opinion, even if it's not political correct, even if it's not mainstream, and sort of standing for your values. I think that's a great opportunity for the whole society. You're a great supporter of women's rights and women's equal access to education, which to me is just so obvious, it's ridiculous. But I just feel that in the United States and, and some other parts of the world, women's rights seem to be going backwards. I, I, I'm not sure whether that's just my feeling or whether that's you. Do you think that's actually happening or do you think that um, women are actually advancing considerably? It, it all, it, I think it really depends on which country you look at. There, there are countries... Um, that have made a lot of progress, the northern European countries, for example, also some yeah. of the Asian countries. But in some other countries, it seems to go backwards. And that's also always a question of, you know, who is leading the country, what kind of culture towards diversity is existing. And frankly, I see it with a big, um, it worries me to see those back steps because the, the back steps are done now 
uh, where not even you know enough women are leading corporations, etc. So uh, I think it will be a process of where women have to prove again and again their own strength and and that they continue their path into leadership. And this is why one of the reasons why Kathy and Utah and many other female leaders support this foundation because this is what we think that happens. Not because we are women activists, we are that too, but it's more a question of what kind of society do we want? And we want a society that deals with problems differently and we do think that if women had more to say then because they have different values, then the result would come in automatically. Yeah, I think I think at a time when we have fifteen um, percent of boards in the United States are women, eighty-five percent of men. When we have ninety percent of the representatives in um, Congress and the House being men, when we have ten men standing round a president who signs um, legislation or executive orders that are atrocious, um, you know, we've got to find a way to give women much better access to, not only education, but access across the board. Absolutely. But, you know, this is just um, one side of the coin, uh, sort of making sure that the government and and the regulations are sort of pro-supporting diversity. But uh, what I think is evenly important and maybe even more important like that is the inner strength and the inner vision of women um, that they have the drive to really uh, become that kind of a leader and, and, and to attain that leadership position. I meet a lot of women in my coaching programs who tell me, you know, I really feel that I don't like the game that is being played in that boardroom and I don't even want to be there. Well. Yeah then all I can say is, well, if you're there, you can change the game. Yep. But first of all, you have to be there. You can't say, well, I'm not playing, you know, because then the boys will just continue without you. So uh, you have to be in the game and you'll be hurt, but you can, you have every right to change it and it needs to be changed. If we look at our world today, if we look at nature, if we look at uh, human rights, if we, <laughs> you you name it, climate change, we know that change needs to come and it will come from strong leaders. And I'm not even making a difference between men and women. We need strong leaders who, who have the courage to go new ways and also to say no to existing bullshit. Yep, I agree. That is a great way to finish the interview, Kirsten. Thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, you can learn more about Kirsten at Kirsten. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We we say Plaver, apparently, but it's K-E-R-S-T-I-N, Kirsten. No no gap, then P-L-E-H-W-E.com. That's Kirsten Plaver. Dot com. And if you're listening to the show and you're a woman that's making a difference, you're out there trying to change the planet, we would love to talk to you. Um, it's it's often difficult to get um, to get powerful women on the show, but um, so if you're out there and, and you're listening and you've got something to say, we would love to hear from you. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network right after this short break. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel. And we're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And this week, we're broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where technology meets entertainment. In the 20s, the 1920s, mass media largely consisted of newspapers, although radio had just begun to become important. A new style of advertising was born where instead of listing a product specifications and qualities, they stressed the benefits in terms of lifestyle improvement. Consumers made decisions emotionally. Companies emphasized USPs. Customer service was important in terms of benefits and ease of doing business. That was a pretty fair way to um, to market your product. The corporate manager of the 1920s developed, for the first time, a concept of social responsibility because they were faced with a greater challenge of legitimizing their positions in society than their entrepreneurial predecessors. Advanced to 2017, where we kid ourselves that we're somehow much more sophisticated and enlightened. Absolutely nothing's really changed today except we're just much bigger wankers than they were 100 years ago. Certainly newspapers are dead. Radio's changed dramatically and the most effective marketing medium is social and digital media. The structure of the effective marketing message to incentivise people to buy is exactly the same as it's been for 100 years. People still bleed, hurt and cry over the same stuff they did 100 years ago. And I was recently amazed when I gave a presentation in a room full of technology CEOs and CMOs and began speaking about the critical keys in any marketing or sales message and that no one buys the product. They buy the personal benefit of the product. You know, all these people sat there like stunned mullets. They were absolutely dumbfounded. I was bombarded with questions during the presentation. And when I left the stage, people were asking me all about the use of emotions, consumer purchasing benefit, wow, touch points, etc. How do they put them into their marketing message? And the view of a majority of attendees was that they promote the product in a well-integrated campaign across all social and digital media and hope to hell it'll work. This is the same misguided logic that said 20 years ago that if you bombard consumers with a million ads, your product will sell. Well, that's just cod's wallet. Well, guess what, folks? The annals of marketing history is littered with well-promoted corporate corpses. There are a number of elements that should be included in any marketing or sales strategy irrespective of the communication vehicle utilised. First of all, you've got to know what business you're in. The majority of businesses think that what they do is the business they're in. And if you don't know what business you're in, you cannot clearly communicate with potential customers. For example, hardware stores are in the problem-solving business, not the hardware business, and that's a totally different message. You've got to fully understand your customer. Not just demographically, but geographically, demographically, psychographically, behavioural, 
and also product related. You've got to clearly differentiate from competitors. The difference can be real or it can be perceived, but it has to be a clear choice to the potential consumer. Consumer purchasing benefit, this is your differential converted into an emotional trigger because everybody buys everything based on emotion. You've got to turn all product features into emotional benefits. All marketing managed, all marketing message focus must be on the, on the customer and not on the product. Product features do not sell. Only product benefits sell. You've always got to give absolutely positively outrageous service at every consumer company product touch point, whether you're online or whether you're offline. You've got to be a good society. You've got to be good to society. You've got to be good to your employees and you've got to be a good community citizen. You've got to give back today. You've got to add value to every transaction and this dramatically increases sales results and reversing the risk can double your sales potential. Now, there, there are a lot more considerations, but these are the basics. And if you're running a business and your results are not what you'd like them to be, you should send me an email today. Too many people who call themselves marketers, not only in startups, but in early stage businesses and even in established businesses, don't understand the critical fundamentals and they do this to their own peril. I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll for my daily newsletter. It takes just 30 seconds to read. And it'll keep you up to date with all the business news that's important. And if you don't read it, you're really missing out on some very important stuff that could not only help you in your business, but help you in your personal life. And remember, if you are not living right on the edge, if you don't take the biggest bite possible and then chew like hell, you're taking up far too much space. Get out of the road and let somebody who wants to achieve get past you. You know, it's much easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Any bastard out there can do the ordinary. That's not for you. And next week, we'll be back broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard, where technology meets entertainment. And I hope you can join me again. This is Bob Pritchard. And remember, continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.